right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Puget Systems Podcast. Uh, this week we're joined by Ed Dawson Taylor, um, what is instructor and CG supervisor at uh, CG Pro, uh, kind of an online school for virtual production. Uh, I always like to start off. Um, Ed, go ahead and give yourself a little intro of who you are and what you do, a little background and stuff. Sure, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me on here today. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, my name's Ed Dawson-Taylor. I am founder and instructor at CG Pro. Um, CG supervisor from the visual effects industry. I've been doing that for about 15 years or so, working on some, been lucky to work on some cool movies, including my childhood dream of Jurassic World and um, things like Lion King and Jungle Book and Harry Potter and uh, lots of other things as well. Going back from my software days, moving into visual effects, lots of VR and commercials and theme parks, all kinds of different things within CG. But um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a generalist and an ex-recovering ex-programmer. <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah, I've, I've dabbled a little bit with software development back in my um, kind of high school slash early college days. And um, yeah, I, I can feel where the recovering part is definitely, yeah, true. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, I still do it. I still like doing it. Right? Oh, that's good. Right on. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really sorry. So as I've as I've kind of gone through this journey of of interviewing people in this industry, I've come to realize that virtual production encompasses a lot more than what people kind of generally think of it. And and we kind of mentioned this just before the stream, how um, you had mentioned like Avatar and Lion King. Those are, I suppose, behind the scenes considered to be virtual production sort of films where maybe the audience would think of them as more um, almost computer animated. Avatar is kind of bridging that sort of weird fuzzy line in between. Um, can you can you kind of give us a little bit of an explanation, a little broader sense of what all encompasses virtual production? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, it's interesting. You know, really, it's, it's in my opinion, a a necessary name, a, a label for a kind of point in time in which a lot of things have evolved um, and crystallized at the same time to, to enable us to do production in quite a different way than we were before. But essentially, they're all add-ons to things that have been done for a very long time. You know, thinking about the Mandalorian type of thing that goes back to a technique began in 1934 using rear projection. It just happens that now we can do it with tons more control over what's in the background. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, very, very old techniques that have been built on, on top of for a long time. And it's really this kind of moment where the software, the hardware, the skill sets have all converged to be able to do what we now are calling virtual production, which essentially is really production in the same way that we've been doing it for a long time. But but the importance of it, and it is a very new moment, really, really a lot of it hovers around being able to use the power of game engines, which have really graduated now into being able to you know, incorporate very high fidelity environments, very high quality rendering, um, and to be able to achieve photorealism in camera or off camera as well. Um, really, it, there's a number of things which it really brings together, uh, game engines or real-time engines, uh, motion capture, um, those two things being able to steer cameras around in the virtual world move characters around in the virtual world and do it all in real time and the the, the real advantages of doing that is some, some of these things build on top of what was 
considered previs before now previs is kind of being called virtual production in some senses. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, previous was done on people's desks in a slow, frustrating way for the filmmakers. Now the filmmakers can actually jump in and be hands-on and move cameras around and even move things around. So the, the speed of iteration really is the is the massive upgrade here because you can actually have, like we did in Blanking, have all the filmmakers in the same room together, making decisions and making changes at the same time, instead of having to ship them off to a different building, different company and wait and maybe get the Chinese versus effect by the time it comes back in dailies. Now you can do all of that in the same space and time. It's much faster. It's more like the kind of rapid engineering or agile workflow that's been applied to filmmaking. So it it is a it's an important name, but I think it's thrown around so much that no and it may not exist forever as a as a label because there's so many things that it encompasses. People are calling virtual production kind of everything nowadays, which is I think it's it's a useful term, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, where it will go from here, I don't know, but it incorporates all kinds of things from previs, postvis, tech vis, in camera visual effects and final pixel production um in vcam virtual camera simulcam and um it, there's there's so many bits to it and i think people always tend to think of it as being the more uh, publicized um kind of popular visions of it things like the mandalorian and there's mm-hmm. so many so many other things that happen within um what's called virtual production i know i don't always call it virtual production just because i feel like i'm not sure how permanent that name is going to be well yeah it, it definitely it definitely feels like it, it isn't we've internally here we've we've had a a similar sorts of conversation as of because because it involves so many different aspects of like filmmaking or or just creation of, of that sort of sense that we've had trouble kind of categorizing the hard the like our systems like okay well what is what is a virtual production workstation well that depends on what you're doing what part of the flow that you're are you doing you know is it the like you said previs okay well that's almost more of like game development machine or or environmental art sort of a thing or it, and it, it changes just depending on where on the i guess the pipeline you are and that's that kind of leads me to my next interesting kind of thought um you said you've been in this kind of for about 15 years and prior to our stream you had mentioned how uh, you had worked on unity and it built some of these uh kind of proprietary tools uh can you can you kind of speak a little bit on on how things have changed over those years. Sure, yeah. Um, I've been using game engines going back quite a long way. You know, I, I said I used to be a software engineer and before I was a VJ, and that was really my journey into computer graphics was doing visuals in nightclubs in the 90s in London. You know, it was a, a great way of yeah. being able to get things in front of people, experiment. It was, it was really cool. And, um, right. Definitely started... It was cool. Yeah, I still, if I get the chance to do it, still, I, I like, I love doing that. Putting graphics to cool things to music is some of my favorite things to do. But uh, yeah, definitely dabbled with game engines back then and, and used some really uh, early game engines. I was, I was part of a group called Sancho Plan for uh, quite a while back in London, which was a group of people, frustrated VJs that wanted to create something with a storyline instead of just random graphics. And we 
Um, we did experiment with game engines. We found that we, they weren't didn't look good enough at the time, so we did a lot of pre-rendered stuff there. But um, it was a conscious choice to do that because we wanted control over the look, and it wasn't really ready. Um, flashing forward to now, where you know, if, if if the state that we're in now was true then, we would have definitely used 3D engines. But we did play with them, and we had some installations. We did an installation in a place called Ars Electronica in Austria. Um, they run a, a festival every year and there's a, it's a, a fairly well-known kind of SIGGRAPH type thing okay. um, slightly different than that but um, uh, th that was uh, they had a big cave environment with a giant wall uh, projected on by eight projectors onto the wall and the floor and that was all run in a game engine and we were doing it stereoscopic so we kind of had to run it in a, in a game engine it was called Vertools. i don't know if it even exists anymore um but going anyway the, the long long preamble to i've been using game engines for quite a long time alongside uh, obviously offline tools and doing mm -hmm. visual effects which has been most of the work that i've done um the last five six years i've started to concentrate more on real time um mm -hmm. essentially by uh by luck you know finding my way into the jungle book where they were using unity but by then i'd already been using unity to do some other stuff you know to we created a, a vr app with my old studio that we ran for a while um we did some HoloLens work and um, a bunch of different things that were in Unity, but that that was like the first movie experience I'd had with the game engine. Um, and some people have been experimenting with that before already in previous mm -hmm. companies using it for previews. But this was really the Jungle Book was really the first time because Avatar was more motion builder. Um, Jungle Book was really kind of first big use of a game engine to be the thing that did the rendering for the previous yeah. and brought in mocap and did it all at the same time. Even though on Avatar, they'd done a lot of similar things. They ran it mostly through Motion Builder. Okay. And we had Unity, which had a, more features and they built tools for it, um, which, as I was saying, kind of were born and died with the movie. Um, and then The Lion King, again, was Unity. Those tools were recreated again. It was a different company. I was, a, I was actually working with DD on Jungle Book, Digital Domain, yeah. and then NPC on Lion King. So different company, different tools. Um, by the by, the end of that, um, that was when Epic jumped in to see what was going on in the Lion King and really fell in love with it and just decided to really get behind it. And then using the Mandalorian as a, a production test bed for really implementing all of that into unreal engine and since then it's fortunately not lived and died born mm. and died with every movie it now gets to compound which is i think really where we've seen the, the massive difference now that the yeah. everything has really progressed since then and it builds on top of each on top of itself mm -hmm. um so really i think uh, no it shouldn't underemphasized the the role that epic played in that because they they care you know they they took it on they put a tremendous amount of effort into listening to what was needed on the film sets and and doing it and providing the tools for for free to people so that you know that lots of people can have access to it and it's not just like Lion King it's all right if you're on the Lion King set uh, with a team of engineers that are making the stuff you can you can play but it was not available to anyone else in the world at that time now right. anyone with a good enough computer can run 
Unreal Engine, and it's sort of it's even without the computer. You, know, you can rent computers in the cloud now for relatively low cost and have a go if you don't even really need the computer anymore. It's, there's never there's never been a time like this before, um, and it's we're only seeing it pick up pace. I think with now the the amount of popularity it's got, it's pushed out into all these other industries. The amount of development is increasing, and the the I don't know. The pace of it seems like it's picking up. Being being a person that teaches it, it's like hard to keep up with the the pace of the innovation that's going on. But it's very oh. exciting. Oh man, yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking um, again as as I've spoken with other people who've, who've kind of dabbled into this space or who are up to their eyeballs in it. Um, it. It does seem like in the last few years, it's really just taken off. It, it, it You have, and I love seeing the um, a sort of breadth of, of or variety of, of usage in, in this. You've got, you have everything from like these crazy, you know, LED volumes where they're ma- almost massive warehouses full of these LED panels, or you have something as simple as uh, somebody you know, wrap their bedroom in, in green screen material and and they're they're doing it that way or tracking you know using Vive trackers and things and, and to to move it in the 3D space and all of this stuff. I love I love seeing all of these different like everything from these DIY hack things and it, it reminds me even the years ago when people were hacking the um, the Xbox Connect to do like motion capture and things like that. I'm 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 starting to realize like like you'd said that um, virtual production has we've been doing this for a long time but without necessarily the label and yeah. and I'm, I'm thinking wow yeah that's that's super true there's all these interesting just solutions that people have had over the years that's really really neat oh. yeah we were, we were uh, talking about this last night I was talking with Brian Pohl from the, the fellowship at Epic Games um, uh, saying that it feels like that moment at the beginning of the kind of Star Wars era of new things being invented in, in visual effects, you know, that George Lucas was was really, really um, on top of the the innovation at that stage and wanted to make things better, special effects better in movies, and then understanding the digital aspect of that and really getting behind that and building tools like, like Edit Droid and various various things that were necessary for computer graphics to exist uh, back then and we're, we're but but a lot a lot of it was I mean he already had a reasonable size <clears throat> company by the stage that the the R and D lab split off and became Pixar but before right. that it was like a bunch of people you know effectively hacking their way forwards in a more of a kind of garage environment trying to figure this stuff out and making cool stuff um, and it feels like it feels like we're in that kind of a time again where in visual effects everything everything got kind of figured out after a certain amount of number of years um, not that there weren't advances happening but the pace the the innovation curve kind of leveled off a little bit because they figured out a lot of things hair and water and com- the complicated effects um, had been figured out now this it's interesting to go kind of going back through all of that all over again in real time because you have to reinvent it all to to make it run in real time and now but also because all these tools are being figured out and built by individuals and and a lot of the tools are freely available there's there's a lot of individuals who and 
who are trying this stuff. It's not just the domain of these big companies with large budgets. And and, I, and I'm excited to see, for that reason, where the next kind of cool Star Wars type thing is going to come from, because it could very well come from somebody you've never heard of before, who's been working away for years on their, on their stories, and, and now they're able to get them out. Um, it's a really exciting time. Me too. I, I think I, I agree. I think that is the the part that kind of gets me the most jazzed is the like you said the barrier to entry is really low. Um, anybody with a half decent computer and enough time on their hands can can really produce some incredible stuff. Um, even just just the other day, um, our own our own guy Matt uh, Matt Bach was playing around with deep uh, deep face live, like deep right. fakes deep fake stuff used to take. Oh, you got to at least at least a weekend worth of training to and all. All these different samples and stuff just to kind of make it work and he had it i mean it's still weird looking and stuff it's not perfect but it, it he was it was live it's right there it's happening from camera to the output right now and and it's he has he has a fairly reasonable system modest i should say and it's not um it's not unreasonable for just about anyone to kind of get into this and really start making some really interesting things. It's, it's so cool. I'm so excited about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, I want to do some other, other stuff like the, in the, in the machine learning realm, like mocap, you know, it's traditionally was a only, it was very expensive. You, you rent a stage for tens of thousands of dollars a day. And in, in some cases it's expensive, inaccessible to people, but now there's cheaper suits coming out that are allowing people to for a few thousand dollars to do mocap and on top of that um some of the machine learning mocap that's starting to emerge that's starting to become quite good where you don't need a mocap suit at all you can just use cameras and do mocap and then if that's affordable enough then all of a sudden you've got what literally was only possible if you were in a big facility with millions of dollars is now available to to the individual yeah so it means there's gonna be a lot of a lot of stuff generated obviously it doesn't be a lot of um noise and signal you know and the, the, there'll be a lot of things that are experiments and that's really important part of the process i think to to not to feel like you can just try this stuff out see if it works and what does it do and try and fail and learn from it and then there'll be those emergent cases where something brilliant comes out of it and that you're already seeing it with people doing incredible things like you said with a, a patch of green material but they, they can't even necessarily afford enough green material to fill a room but just enough to cover the area they need and using blender and, and unreal and some of these really free free tools um they could do things that we would have only been we would have we needed so much equipment to do before i think about the beginning of my career when i was leading a commercial and doing uh, doing a car commercial mm -hmm. and the the amount of time when i put my renders on the on the farm which is a medium-sized farm not a huge one but medium-sized they, they they were telling me it was telling me that it was me a week before i get my renders back and i remember telling my producer that and watching his face change thinking about what he was going to tell the client I'm like it can't be a week we can't have that like that feedback loop is not good enough you know so i did do all these things to make it more efficient and like okay it's three days now but 
literally looking back on that, what we can see in Unreal 4, not even in Unreal 5, uh, it looks looks better than that did and comes back in instantly in a 60th of a second as opposed to a week. <laughs> it's just crazy to me that we're, we're at that point. And so it's so exciting. I think it's reinvigorated the careers of a lot of people who've been in Visual Flex for a long time. The, the, the excitement around not just the render times, but the, the collaboration potential of all of this, because it's it's bringing the pipeline together where this was this disconnected pipeline where people would not really communicate from one part of the pipeline to the other. Mm-hmm. And certainly from production to post, not much at all. But now you can you can bring the whole thing together and it's, it's real. It's, it's really, uh, I think, breathe the, breathing tremendous amount of life into that world, which um, has, has always been very exciting to me, but never as exciting as it is now. Yeah, I like. It. I like. It. I've heard. I've heard stories like that too. Like it used to be, you know, you'd 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 record a shot and then you'd have to send it off to the VFX person and then they'd come back and say, okay, well, I've done, I kind of done what you asked. What do you think? And then it's like a back and forth. And now kind of like you were saying, now your VFX person is right there. The director can see on the little screen what it's going to look like practically as a finished product in almost real time. And I, that's, yeah, super cool. I want to, I want to touch on this yep. question from YouTube. Emery Designs was asking, uh, what is the most challenging part? And then I, I guess we'll kind of expand on that or, or, or actually maybe kind of focus a little bit. Uh, but I guess just of, hmm, what is the most challenging part of your work uh, for CG Pro? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, <laughs> I mean, I can say the most challenging shit. part of running a school <laughs> is <laughs> probably not something that would be massively interesting to the listeners. But I can talk about the, you know, the, um, the on the virtual production side, True. The, the actual artist side of doing things. I'm still active as a an artist and supervisor and consultant. Um, so that I think really. In some, it's it's interesting. Like, in some ways, the most challenging part is is what it's always been, which is um, the story. You know, and, and nothing to do with the tools in at all. Like, I I think just in a big picture sense, I think that what was true for visual effects is again true for virtual production that all of these things are just tools you know they're, mm-hmm. they're incredible tools and we are in the most exciting time in computer graphics i've ever known uh, cool. but at the same time what we're doing is the same we're trying to tell stories to inspire people and and have, create some sort of entertainment or transformational experience now this is the thing we've been doing since we were stat- sitting around fires and telling stories it's just that the storytelling has got more elaborate um i think one of the more challenging things which is maybe not not the answer um that they might have been looking for but they're like really just remembering that the story and, and the, the idea is the most important part and not getting too consumed by the tools but the, the thing is you have to learn the tools to make them be able to disappear for you to think of of the creativity um there's there's several answers to that question i think they could give one one of them would be that is just don't don't let the um the kind of fancy new tools that exist 
detract from what is the most important part, which is doing something that's worth putting in front of people or creating a cool story that's got heart and soul that really touches people's souls. Um, that that's I think it can be a real challenge um, to focus on the technique and the tools so much that you ignore that part a bit more than you should. Um, but certainly within the within the tools. Um, there's, there's a lot of challenges within that. I think um, one of them being keeping up with what, with the latest stuff, because you know that's all in this period of rampant change, and really keeping up with the the latest stuff, which um, you know, obviously that's what large part of what we do as a school. We help people keep up to date or jump into the industry in the first place. So I think I think keeping up with the tools. Certainly, is challenging. It's challenging for us too because the the pace of innovation has has increased, and you know it's got even harder to keep up with them. But I'm, I do the same things that I recommend to to everyone else that comes and studies with us, which is have good mentors. You know, one of our mentors is Epic Games. You know, they help sure. us keep up to date, and they're very very good with their training partners in that way. And they help help us tremendously. You know, so we we go through the same thing and trying to keep up to date and make sure you're on top of the latest tools and trends. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the, all the old challenges are all still there, basically. Uh, these tools have presented a new way of working and collaborating and producing material. But I think all of the old challenges that are are, uh, are, are all still there. They all still exist. They haven't, it hasn't made them go away. It's just, it's helping, it's helping bring people together and make the speed of iterating in the creative part of the process at the beginning now be able to exist across the whole production cycle. Um, but yeah, so, so I think some of those traditional challenges, are, most of them, in fact, are, are still there. The you know, challenge of finding good people um, with the right skills and the right temperament to be able to work in these kinds of environments is, is quite challenging. Um, and with because it's so new there's not that many people who know the tool itself but then on top of that that have the experience in filmmaking to understand how to use it and on top of that the temperament to be able to work on a a dynamic movie set and not kind of buckle under the the you know the the stress that happens on those movie sets which is the stress being a good thing and a bad thing you know for me it's been incredibly focusing when I've been in those environments. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, it's challenging for some people. And I think oh, yeah. encapsulating all of that together for somebody who's going to be on set, I think is one of the more challenging things for an individual, for a company finding those people is is uh, the challenge because this is, this is a new skill set um, that's emerging is still le- leveraging on top of old skill sets. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it is new, and I think finding those. So, so for the people out there who want to get into this, it's a great time. It's a, there's so much opportunity because of that lack of supply and the high demand. There's a great opportunity to jump in now. Where in the past, um, it it took it was hard, and still is hard to get into <laughs> high-end visual effects and and computer graphics. Um, that hasn't necessarily changed, but because of this demand increase, there the people somewhat 
lowering the standards a little bit just because they need people um and that's not to say that you know when you when you when you've got two options you don't you don't have much choice but to if you need two people take those two people yeah uh, whereas before if there was uh, a thousand options and you needed two people it was incredibly difficult for the other 998 to, to even be seen and heard mm -hmm. um so there's a there's a good moment right now because of some of those challenges in the industry of finding good people and, and nurturing them. Um, it's a bit of a bit of a reset, you know. We're we're training a lot of people who've been in business for twice as long as I have, but they don't know this part of it, so they oh, need to okay. come and retrain. You know, and for that reason, it's really it's really helped to kind of level the playing field. In a lot of ways, you know, there are some of the people who've been in it a long time bring with them the tremendous amount of experience that they already have, which mm -hmm. is really important um, and and not to be understated. But there there is um, because sort of at this point nobody knows how it works. Um, it's been a great leveler, and I think that's that's great. You know, it's really encouraging the new generation, and it's it's exciting to get into something where the doors don't feel closed. You know, there's yeah. there's there's a lot of mobility at the moment, and um, that's another part of why it's exciting. You know, it's it's yeah. So I, I don't know if that was the right answer, but uh, oh. that's some of my answers that I would give oh. to that. that I question. like it. No, that, no, I think that's good, and I mean, it, it highlights other challenges too, like. Um, but so, no, I think that was good. I think it covered it good. Um, I, I'm curious. Uh, so Unreal Engine is traditionally, like you've been saying, is like a kind of a game engine. And Unreal has put a tremendous amount of effort into um, kind of pivoting it, not away from, but like expanding, I suppose, it into these sort of other other um, industries. Uh, from, from the school standpoint, have you found that there are... Um, a lot of people moving from video games or video game design into the in trying to learn this other way of using these tools or yeah it's a good question um there are people doing that definitely mm -hmm. there's um i mean going going back to the lion king again then in that moment there was no virtual production or at least it was possible that the, the term had been coined but it wasn't popular and it wasn't certainly wasn't known by the public outside of this you know the little kind of community the computer graphics community um so yeah i, th I think at, at that point finding people was finding virtual production artists was it was tough it was tougher now there are people who who have crossed the divide from visual effects um, and from games and from filmmaking as well. And, and I'd say those are the sort of major pools of people who have crossed over and, and get these breakthrough um, cases where people feel like a change. They want to do something a little differently. Maybe they've been in production. They want to be in a different area of production. This is a new exciting uh, mode that we're in. So uh, production professionals might want to skill up on that. So definitely seeing those people training up um, also visual effects artists who either feel like they see the writing on the wall and that this skill set is taking over or if they you know, make it left behind if they don't learn it those kinds of things because um, it, it is supplementing a lot of the the visual effects 
process, even if it's not really necessarily taking over all the rendering or getting rid of all of the other tools that are still very much used. Um, and and the, the games, so sorry, going back to the, the Lion King example, the, the predominant, predominantly they were fishing from art department, um, visual effects and gains and I kind of came into it from the visual effects angle um, and being before that Jungle Book there was it it kind of felt like a risk going into the, that movie it was like people I knew who were in visual effects were somewhat resistant to going into it because they oh. it was like a new thing nobody really knew what it was no we were doing a uh, a remake of a Disney film. Nobody knew if it was going to be popular or not, or if this was just like putting the career on pause to learn something that may be a fad and maybe going away. I mean, it, it was it was hard for them, I think, to find people. But I think those people who worked from through Avatar and then onto that movie um, would keep being rehired onto the subsequent movies because it makes sense. But bringing in new people who would definitely be fishing from the games world and. Um, the, the very interesting part about that, I think, is that both sides, uh, both the, all three sides or whatever, visual effects, filmmaking and games, all look at the, the elephant in a totally different way. You know, they all have different cultures and different workflows and processes. And we really relied on the games people bringing their knowledge in because visual effects people weren't used to making things run in real time and, and caring even though we would have to care about render times still you couldn't just throw anything into an offline renderer like if it if it says a week and your producer starts to sweat then you have to make that time come down <laughs> right there still exists in that world but the games people are bringing in this this knowledge of of optimizing and making things run fast and being efficient in, to to the nth degree where film and visual effects professionals wouldn't wouldn't go that far because it's a whole another half of a job sure. just doing that um so at that point yeah it was a lot of games people were jumping in but no, they weren't used to the filmmaking process so then they had a lot of that workflow and culture to get used to so there was several culture clashes that I've witnessed between these different cultures who are very used to doing things in, in the way that they've done them before. And, you know, as, as humans, I think we're all pretty bad at change generally. Yeah. You know, it causes the fear to kick off and we're like, I don't want to do that differently. I want to do it the way I've always done it. And um, I think there's, there's nobody avoids that entirely. Uh, but, but the beauty in, in bringing different cultures together and different ways of looking at things together is that that's the, that's the true essence of creativity for me is, you know, as uh, I think Einstein described it as combinatorial play, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's not really inventing something new as such, it's more combining old things in new ways to make something new out of things. So that, that's, a, that's basically kind of what, how the, the universe creates is, is um, there's a great book on it. I think it's called Creativity. Um, and it's about taking it right back to molecules and atoms, atoms banging around and bumping into each other and finding the you know, valent connections that fit and making new tiny pieces. And then those pieces fit together to make other new things. There's not that many elements. And in the same way, there's not that many things in the world. But the way you combine them is, is what creativity is about.
and and seeing this new workflow where we're allow, we're allowing all these different things to combine and and be curious about it and and tolerant of it, I think is where the magic happens. And there's, there's always a lot of resistance to it, but the beauty is in where you, you're you're you allow it to happen and you're tolerant of it, and that's when literally new things are allowed to be birthed. Sorry, that was a uh, again a long answer. No, no, I, I like it. I know it's it's good detail. It's I like I like hearing it. It's good. Um, man, there's there's a there's a, I have I. It's funny you say the atoms bumping into each other. I have a lot of different um, ideas of of where to kind of direct the conversation. Um, I'm curious about how your, kind of your thoughts on um, AI and machine learning and how it's affecting um, that sort of creative process. Uh, a lot of times uh, we hear, oh, you know, AI is going to take my my job away. You got um, as an example, uh, Roto Brush Two in in I think it's After Effects. Um, that used to be somebody's sole purpose was to sit there and cut cut things out and and you know rotoscoping and stuff was, and now it's like double click and it's pretty good and you touch it up and it's way faster. Way you probably do, you could probably put that on to someone who wears multiple hats. Um, I guess how how has the advances in machine learning and AI affected? Um, virtual production and, and filmmaking and creativity in general yeah it's a good good question um and i before starting the school I was working with a company that's uh, an automotive company working on autonomous driving um technology which at this stage in the game you know arguably probably shouldn't be called autonomous as such but That's more true. like you know responsibly maybe more uh like driver assist with with better driver assist than we had before but that doesn't <laughs> sound cool so um, <laughs> there's a lot of that a lot of that in that company and I was working with a lot of engineers that were very savvy in that and I had to I had to learn a lot about how that works um, to, to, to be able to be in the same room. Um, so so coming back to the graphical side of things, I think there's there's a there's always going to be that, you know, I think every advance that we've made as a species has always changed, like I was just saying, change equals fear. We're biologically designed to resist change to stay where we are because it's safe and going to somewhere new is challenging and difficult and scary but it's 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 where the juice is you know and, and i find i find when i'm in times where i'm not growing and taking risks um that i i get more towards the sort of bored end of things or feeling like i want to do something else and you know, throw that career in and start another one and i think um changes change is inevitable as well like there's no way that you can stop it um the world the environment is changing regardless of whether your bit of it is changing and you you can try and resist it as much as you want mm -hmm. but it is it's happening it's like trying to go down the beach and shovel the waves back into the ocean you know there's just there's no you're not going to stop it yeah. um so i think coming to terms with that is important um just in terms of the human side of it and then um the proper answer to the question where we we're talking about how's it affected the production workforce i say a bit you know it's emergent um and things like you you mentioned like the deep fake idea which uh 
emerged as a not a production tool, um, but now is being used as a production tool yeah. to to do all kinds of things from face replacement to touch up and aging and all kinds of that work, which is hard. It's very hard to do manually. Um, if you can get it done automatically, you know, I, th I think uh, personally, I think that we just have to evolve at the same in the same way as the tools and skills evolve. So staying current with it, learning how to use them takes the fear away. <clears throat> you know, being, empowering yourself with the knowledge is, is the best way of not being scared of change. Uh, it, it's scary a bit to get involved with it at all, but learning about it, experimenting with it, trying it, that's the best way to become empowered and to not feel like it's taking away your job because i mean there's, that's gone on since the industrial revolution people thought like oh no those mechanical machines are going to take away our jobs and it did take away some jobs but you know so i don't think there's anyone out there that well maybe one or two but there's nobody who truly loved got into the business to do roto or match move or some of the mocap cleanup you know it's, it's, it's that kind of stuff which is a great problem for machine learning to solve because ai is a is a, a term that's used a lot for machine learning and yeah. ai is something that implies a more actual intelligence whereas machine learning is just that machines learned how to do something very well that it can just do over and over again and, and it create variation based on its inputs but it's still a very kind of repetitive task eliminator and i think most people don't really like repetitive tasks yeah. so I, I think in a lot of ways it's it's good and it's definitely helping in um all kinds of things that suit that type of technology like roto paint um you know prep um mocap as we were saying that's starting to be uh, quite effective using machine learning um extracting motion from video and um I think all of that stuff is is it doesn't it doesn't really get it doesn't really take people's jobs away. I think it just changes what jobs are still left to be done. Because when we find when we find the edge of something's capability, if it's a piece of machinery or software or a skill set, we then get comfortable with that and then push it a little bit more and mm -hmm. that edge is where like just around that edge is somewhere that i think you want to you want to be because um if you're if you're too far backwards of that then your your skill sets can be made redundant you know software changes if you don't keep up with the, the latest techniques your skills do go out of date and it's important to keep up with it but then new new jobs emerge and new things emerge to do um so I'd, yeah, I, don't, I don't feel personally scared of it but the, well, the best way i keep myself from being scared of it is by having a just you know I'm, I'm a teacher and i run a school but i'm i'm also an eternal student and being on a lifelong mission to do training myself and every day is is how i I never really feel scared of of where it's going, and I love I love seeing how things are taking away things that I don't like to do, and creating new things that I do like to do. Um, so, I, anyway, yeah, that's my two nah, cents. I like cents. it. I definitely I, I definitely agree. I like um, like you said, it takes it takes the boring part out of a lot of things, and and leaves so much room for the 
the fuzzy stuff that I think human beings are really good at the creativity. Yeah. The, um, the, the, yeah. It just, it lets, it lets humans kind of be more human. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Cause you don't feel that human when you're there, like doing a, the same thing over and over again, repetitively that the machine could do. It's a, it's not, I think it's often the, the, I think that the, the one unfortunate part of some of that stuff being taken away is it, it has been a good way in previously and learning the the guts of how something works is is very empowering if you don't have to learn how it gets put together i'm really grateful to have having gone through like film taking pictures with film uh, and processing them on on with chemicals in a dark room you know i don't miss the, the like lightheadedness after eight hours of being in a dark room but i do i do i do appreciate the what i had to go through the number of hours it took to make a picture as opposed mm -hmm. to now where you do it more instantly i, I think there's, there are some things to learning some of those fundamental parts of how things come together that really do help help you be able to later on change the way that something works fundamentally you know that that's been a really great side of of my career and you know what, what i love to do is make things do things that they can't naturally i i love doing that i love problem solving and and creating new widgets and new ways of doing things and then creating something cool with that um so it's yeah i think it's it really helps to, to go through the ranks in that way. Mm -hmm. if, if it's taking all of that away, then there's probably some sort of cost to that. But yeah. I could see that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Otherwise, if it, if it takes match move away from me, I'm very happy. It takes Rotel away from me, I'm very happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as, as, um, as, as a person running a school, you mentioned that it's difficult or it's part of a challenge is kind of staying current on everything that you know that you're trying to teach how how does that work um i imagine you work pretty closely with with some folks at unreal um and i imagine there's sort of a back and forth but like how does that look um how yeah. how do you and, and and cg pro in general like how do you guys stay up on this stuff yeah that's a good question so i think one thing that really helps us in particular is that we're an independent school and we we're very agile we're very able to to change and react and it's very easy for us to to do that because we we don't have a, a giant um number of administrative hoops to jump through to make decisions and be able to react to the environment and i think that we're we're, we're very keen to keep it that way um so that we can continue to be adaptable and, and actually what we're seeing is we're, we're seeing a lot of educational institutions coming to us to, to train because they oh. want to stay current and they want to learn what's going on and you know they they're we're 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 also very um in contact with the industry you know we from the industry all of our instructors are from industry they're actively in the industry so um we don't we don't um because of that people who are teaching with us including myself are people who are active active professionals they they're, they're 
they're not having to learn what to do first. They're, do, they're doing it already and then bringing that into the school. So that that really helps as well, just the nature of the, the instructors that we have being active professionals um, as opposed to our full-time teachers. Yeah. Um, we, I th- yeah, I think also, as you said, the, the partnership with Epic being a, a training partner with Epic, we're very, very, um, uh, we pay very close attention to, to what they do and what they say and how they support us. And um, we're, we're fortunate in that we have that relationship with that um, that company with Epic Games, um, who are so supportive and so um, great with us as a partner, um, that that helps a lot as well. Um, I think, yeah, it. I go back going back to what I said about the individual. You know, the same same thing is true for an individual as is true for a company or a family or a country. Even um, the the need to to grow. I think for everybody is annoyingly present. You know, it's like sometimes you don't you you don't want to don't always want to grow too much all the time. You want to go in waves a little bit, but as long as you're committed to your growth, um, which we are very much. You know, we're always doing training. I'm actually training today myself, and I, I've been in the business for 15 years, um, no more before that. Uh, not in software and, and you know as a hobby, but like 15 years in the industry, I I am run a school, teach and consult, do all kinds of things. But every day I challenge myself to learn something new, um, and I always train. I always I, it's not it, to me it's not a sign of weakness for me to do training. It's a sign of strength, and I'm I every time every year do my taxes and I see how much money I've spent on my own training. I'm like wow. I did it again <laughs> and it makes me makes me happy you know like uh, that's the best thing i could invest in i i don't invest in stuff very much you know mm-hmm. there's bits of stuff that you need and uh things that help with the work that i love to do but invest in in my in, in my own head you know and invest in my skills and my ability to grow as an individual and i think that's what really helps um in leading the school to create that culture of learning in the school and um, and to be able to help others do it as well. And we tend to attract people who are already kind of on that path and they're very hungry. They want to, they want to learn. They, the type of person that knows this is really important to learn and they want it and they, they, they're maybe frustrated with teaching themselves, which was the same for me when I got into visual effects. So I was teaching myself and it's very slow and um, sometimes I didn't know if I was learning the right things and I'd get into problems with it and get stuck. And um, what we help with as a school is helping people past that and go really far, really fast. Um, It's a kind of accelerated growth program and all the training that I do myself, I look for is, is the same type of thing. Um, And we have, we're very fortunate to have good relationships with, um, people like uh, like Epic Games who are, are very supportive and they, they like I said I'm training with them today and next week and that we, we pay attention to that because we want to stay current and it's um, so all of those things together I think really help us to stay 
current and and, and as i said is not to not to brag but no we do have a lot of educational institutions that come to us that's really to learn to, to stay current themselves so that that's i'd say the main people that come and work with us are our filmmakers our visual effects professionals and educators that's gonna feel really. I mean, I I think I would be really proud to know that you know that some uh, some other college or whatever is coming to me to be like, hey, hey, how, how do you guys, how do you guys do this? Because you know, that, that, yeah. I know, just would be really neat. I think that's I'm I'm, it, I'm tremendously proud of it and and shocked and humbled by it whenever it happens. But yeah, I'm it's real. <laughs> I'm, I'm I love it because I I love doing it. I love being able to work with people who want to and want to improve who want to grow and want to take on something new and are daring you know I, I respect the people that work with us so much because they take time out of their lives to invest in themselves and i i just it's it's so satisfying to me to see it when it when it happens um yeah it's the best best job in the world that's for me. Cool. Right <laughs> on. Um, so uh, we we have maybe eight or eight or so minutes left uh, for our hour here, and I'm I'm curious, what are you most excited about? Um, so kind of two parts in the near term, so like maybe in the next year or so, and then also a little bit more medium term, like maybe five years. Sure. Um, in the near term, um, well, just very close to home i'm very excited about the new courses that we have coming out we have um our advanced classes which we're running uh, so we've had unreal filmmakers class which is an eight-week course which really takes people from nothing or intermediate all the way through to making their own short film and it's it's, it's very um uh, inspired by the fellowship from epic um helping people to create their own piece of piece of work in a short period of time and skill up at the same time um, but the, the advanced classes that, that extend from that we have classes in um, stage being stage operators and a tech artist on stage um, focused on being focused on characters we have a character focused class uh, within real time you know, these are all uh, working within virtual production um, uh, we also have a Houdini class coming up which is for generalists not effects artists and that's Ooh. that to me is a um, that they're, they're becoming a really really Houdini is becoming a really great tool for for generalists to be able to do all kinds of things and motion capture processing and all kinds of really world building all kinds of really useful things it's like best tool in, in USD um, for working with USD and generating it and manipulating it, even better than a lot of Pixar's own tools, they actually use it very uh, heavily now um, for that. I'm very excited by by where USD is going as that extends into Omniverse and things which are, what, what's happening now is everything's becoming very interconnected where mm -hmm. traditionally a pipeline was very linear. One thing would get passed on to the next thing and if you wanted to undo it, you go all the way back to the beginning and then repeat all those steps. Now everything's becoming much more interconnected. Um, so I'm very excited about all these, the technologies that are underpinning that from USD to you know, rampant uh, increases in, in cloud tech and being able to connect things in the cloud m more easily um, using virtual workstations and, and kinds of cool stuff. Um, so, you know, kind of branching out from what I'm excited about in 
in our school with these new courses coming out, which are really designed to make the most of this new type of workflow that's going on, predominantly the real-time stuff and the mm -hmm. um, generalism. Um, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm very excited by the advances in, in uh, real-time. The, the increase from four, Unreal 4 to Unreal 5 is, I think, got the world's attention. Um, and we, we have a, an Unreal 5 workshop coming up around that, which is a kind of conversion workshop if you're already used to 4. And then okay. we're, at the appropriate time, we'll push more of the 5 content into our flagship courses. Um, but I'm very excited about Unreal 5 because it's, it's uh, particularly with the, the indirect um dynamic indirect light with lumen um Ooh. and the, the nanite is incredible as well i think um that yeah particularly the way that the way that lighting has really improved in five i think is going to see more and more and more final pixel coming out of the game engine um which is very exciting so and and just the increase in in hardware and some of the things that nvidia and uh, particularly nvidia but a lot of hardware manufacturers are doing with, with creating hardware that accelerates all of this to the point where you can do it in real time. That's really where the capability comes from the software and the hardware together. That's why this virtual production moment in time is happening because of all of the, the convergence of the growth in, in those areas. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm really excited to see um, where this all goes. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be working in real time, not having to wait for my renders and being able to collaborate with people more, more directly in, you no, know, visual effects has always been wonderful to me, but somewhat isolating. And I feel like we're in a moment of change where it's almost coming back to being a bit more human. And I'm excited about that as well. You know, the, the human side of it improving. Um, there's probably tons of other things that I'm excited about, but there's a, yeah. there's a number of things that are kind of now, next week, you know, this weekend we start a new course. We actually have a couple of places left in it if anyone wants to join us. <laughs> but um, I'm excited about Sunday starting that. I'm excited about you know, the next couple of years when I can I kind of know what's coming with Unreal 5 and mm -hmm. um, the improvements in Houdini and Omniverse, seeing what that's capable of and USD. And then further out than that, it's very, very hard to imagine what this is all going to look like in five years' time. Because 20 years ago, maybe I had a bit more of an idea about that. The pace of change, I think... <laughs> Is, is increasing, the rate of change is increasing. So I don't know, I, I would, I, it always kind of makes me smile when people make predictions about where, the, where this is the future or like where this is going, whatever, because like, we just have no idea, you know, we yeah. really don't. We can make, we can make wild guesses, but um, I'm, I'm just generally excited because I can see the trend and, and I'm excited with what I'm doing right now. And I'm excited to help other people um, become empowered with that in the face of where where visual effects is is changing and um, if we can help people get on board um, that's that's my most the most excited I can be these days is just seeing that in another person um, and seeing it help genuinely help their life um, uh, and yeah seeing people who have been in the business for 30 plus years suddenly get really excited all over again like Maybe they got a little, uh, you know, a board of it after that long, for one of the better way of saying it. And now it's it's really, really just invigorating the people and their careers. And that that's the 
aside from all the tech stuff, which is of course exciting, um, the human side of it, I think, is the most exciting part to me in a way. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, um, man. I have I have one more question. If you have a little bit more, oh. four minutes. Yeah, so, I can stay uh, on. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, because uh, you you mentioned uh, omniverse, and that kind of made me think of like metaverse and, and this all of this um, sort of Web three gets tossed around a lot, and <laughs> and yeah, and virtual reality and this and that. I'm curious. Do you think? And and maybe you've maybe you've seen this this angle, but do you think that? Um, storytelling and filmmaking um, is going to evolve from a sort of passive experience where you know you're kind of you just kind of watching you're kind of in this you're you're being taken along on this ride do you think that it will evolve into a more of an interactive experience for an audience yes it is already um, I you know there's a number of examples of that where um, well, a friend of ours, um, Hasdalal, is Hasimation uh, yeah. is his company, and he's doing some amazing, groundbreaking stuff in real-time filmmaking as an independent filmmaker. And also, the, the moment he's making a game and a movie at the same time, out of right. the same product, the same IP, which is super cool. Like you know, so it's being done. Um, I I said that on on the Lion King. Like, why don't we make a something why don't we make something out of this because no one's ever going to see the previous like i can't even put it on my showreel you know it's in some disney vault somewhere um i i, I was at the time saying like we should obviously it wasn't going to happen because everyone was stressed and busy trying to make a movie right. but i'm like we could there's all this whole world of liking now exists it runs in real time in vr can't we like do something with that and you know get give it to people and give people that that same kind of experience i know, obviously i know that it takes tons of work to go from that trivial statement to an actual thing that you can give to people <laughs> that's good but um it's amazing now to see people that has doing that um with his work and um i think we're just going to see more and more and more of that where games movie franchises have always made games Mm -hmm. off the back of them but they've always been a completely separate company and asset set and everything and, it, and what what we we're trying to do on, on Lion King was using USD sort of prematurely um, to encapsulate assets and put the previous asset in a bundle with the final asset and maybe some stages in between so that you could kind of like dial up the final version of, of the environment but you could still capture all of your layout and stuff for the previous state kind of like a LOD kind of situation but um, yeah I, I feel like now with especially seeing people actually doing it like people has actually doing it without actually reusing the same assets um, and developing these things at the same time uh, I, I think I've, I think what we saw with VR was everyone feeling like this was going to change the way that movies are consumed. And there was mm -hmm. that massive you know, amount of excitement at the beginning six years ago or whatever, at the beginning of the new wave of it. Um, but people felt like all movies, I think, I think humans tend to feel like when something new comes along, that it's going to get rid of everything that existed before and become yeah. the future. And like, uh, it doesn't really 
tend to work like that. No, the VR didn't change the way that movies are made or consumed. They were still looking at them in rectangles. There are, but there are still things being made in VR. Um, but I, I, I think it's just a yes, a yes and. You know, there's for a long time there's going to be the need for. Well, I don't, I don't know about everybody else, but I know that I've so much going on running a business, having two young children, a bunch of other things as well, that. When I sit down and watch a movie, I don't want to control it. I don't want. Right. I don't actually really want to control it. I want to watch. I often watch the same movie I've seen a hundred times. <laughs> I'm sort of sad to admit that, but I, I just, I want to break. You know, I want, yeah. I want to, I want to turn my brain off for a second. So I think there's always going to be that need for passive, consumptive media. But, but also there are times where I'm, I do want to get involved in it. I'd love to reach in there and, and, and interact with it a little bit um maybe when my kids are a little older i want that even more but yeah, yeah I, I just think it's yes and you know like mm -hmm. I, I think every new wave of tech that comes in people say the same thing every time like this is the future and that's going to get rid of this these jobs and this way of doing things and it never does like but we always we go through the same trap every time <laughs> like <laughs> I, I feel like we, we don't learn from that but like i yeah, being a, trying to pull back from it and be objective about it, I think that that you know there's there's a case for both. I am proof uh, proof in point. Like I don't want to control my movie right now. Maybe in three years' time, I will be all over that. But there's so many people like me that just want to sit there and watch a movie, mm -hmm. and there's so many people that want to play the game. And I, I think another uh, thing that I would cite in this in this uh, example is. The, the Matrix, the recent Matrix movie oh, mm -hmm. and um, game demo and um, movie clip that mm -hmm. was made uh, based on the game engine. Like that whole thing, I was talking about it to someone yesterday, that whole thing together was also the same kind of thing. In the same moment, they released a movie, they made part of that movie in the game engine the the scene on the lake with the dojo that was actually made in Unreal Engine at least you know the environmental piece um, they also made a playable version of uh, a Matrix like world for the PlayStation that ran on the PlayStation this is not like a fifteen thousand dollar machine it's a hundreds of dollars machine um, and it ran on that and then they also made a a, a little short movie out of it that looked you know similar to the original movie um proving that you know humans can start to look really good even in real time cg uh and that the environment and the lighting and everything has kind of come to that point where like that that was a perfect case you know whether you like the movie or not i think it was a perfect case for seeing how all of that can come together and, and they even took it a step further which i think i, I congratulated them for taking the risk of cross-referencing all of those pieces and making it into they were really trying to go really meta on it and I think it uh, you know it succeeded in some of those ways um and, and cross-referencing all these things and making you like in the in the short clip of a few minutes of animation from the PlayStation um they said how do you know what's real and, you know those kinds of lines where people were watching it they didn't know that the, the characters initially weren't real and that's it for, for whatever you could criticize it for, it, that was real and made people actually react in that way. And that's never really happened before. And 
to have all those things connected together and cross-referencing each other and being made at the same time, I think is, is uh, and, and everybody with the playable version on the downloadable playable version on PlayStation 4, um, 5 was, um, were saying that they wished there was more to the game, like they would actually want it to be a full-on game. And yeah, I, I, I just feel like because it's becoming capable of housing uh, assets from movie grade assets now, uh, there, there's much more the case for not having to create these two things completely separately. Yeah, uh, no, hundred percent. Like why, why? And I, I feel like there's almost no reason not to. You've done all of the work to make these beautiful environments, these beautiful assets, and it's already in a game engine that has all of the tools and stuff built in to make it a game. I mean, it, it practically is a game. You're just only recording from one kind of hard viewpoint, I guess. So why not? It's it's right there. I, I'm sure it's a lot more complicated than I think it is, but it, it seems like you're already halfway there. Yeah, you, you really have to want it and care about it, which is where the, the Matrix epic, you know, production company relationship came in because they wanted it and they wanted to do it just like um, Disney and John Favreau wanted to to have a crack at the Mandalorian and doing that in that way you gotta uh, and and you have to you have to be sort of very entrepreneurial to do something like that and take that risk you know the Lion King is again an example of that it was like big risk in, in trying to pull that thing off and it was calculated so some precedent but um yeah it it's definitely it definitely involves uh you wanting to do it I mean, in general people usually in individually or in business they want to do things somewhat the way they did did it before because it's safe and they understand it and but doing something there's another challenge which i try and set myself um every day do something that that scares me a little bit every day because I think if when you're doing that, you know you're growing. If you're not scaring yourself a little bit, you're not really you're not really growing, not really. If it if it doesn't scare you, there's either you know, either like emotionally don't react in the same way as most people, or like you're lying to yourself. I think if it doesn't scare you a bit, then you're not in the path of growth. And and I think it's it's really important to remember that you know whilst you could criticize some some of these experiments that people are doing at that level they are taking risks and they're trying to do something new and it's it should be should be said I, I wish as a culture we I wish we celebrated uh people missing the mark more you know because it, it's it's not just about whether it made billions of dollars or became a successful business the fact that someone tried in the first place that's the important part is is just have having a go I mean there's tons of things that don't work out but like I'm always really like I see things that I don't like. I used to maybe put them down a bit more uh, when I was younger, but if I see something I don't like, now I try and think, I'm really glad that that person's doing that because I might not like it, but because they're doing it, I know that there's all kinds of people out there trying all kinds of different stuff. And that's how we're gonna improve in general as a, as a culture and as in, whether it's in media or health or whatever it is, it takes, it takes people doing things that are a bit crazy, that are, are, are risky, that feel wrong, and that people are going to 
put down like nothing else when it first appears. Now, every great invention that was that when it first arrived, it was really heavily criticized and mocked and people were even killed for it. You know, it was, it's I, w- I, w- I kind of wish as a culture we'd, we'd be a little bit more um, celebratory of the try as opposed to the result, because um, I think that's the, the sort of the main thing you want to aim for in a lot of ways. But, I, you know, I'm the same way. I, I'm resistant to change and, and <laughs> I'm very human in, in that way. But trying, trying to observe it and trying to know when I'm doing it because I just want to be comfortable or when I'm sometimes you can change too much too and, and exhaust yourself and burn yourself out. So it is a it is a balance. You have to not do something so crazy that you risk your very existence all the time it's exhausting and, and discouraging sometimes so somebody tried to explain it to me once saying that you should be four percent outside your comfort zone oh, okay so so uh, if you take take nothing away from today other than that then uh, be four percent outside your comfort zone and if you can figure out what that means then come back and tell me because i don't know what it means but <laughs> to me it means like just being a bit outside your comfort zone not hundred percent outside your comfort zone where it's scary and you might die you know that that's that's not necessarily a good thing either just yeah. managing it it's an art i think being taking enough risk as an individual to know that you're doing it in a in a sustainable way and it's important to do it a bit though if you don't do it at all you end up with a different set of problems yeah and it's, it's better to be on the on the in control of that i think take some risks I like it. That's a, I think that is a great, a great message to end on. This is super good. Thank you so much. That was really cool. Yeah. Um, You're welcome. And yeah. Thank you so much Ed, for, for joining us today. This was really fun. I I really appreciated your, your insight. You're very welcome. Yeah. Um, um, I was just going to leave you a link there in the, oh, sure. in the chat if you want to post that to anyone, just in case anyone is interested oh, yes. in, in what we do. There's a, a link to our website. Thank you. Bam for everybody out there. I'll also be putting all that in um, this for the school and, and other links for yourself um, in the YouTube description for the, the recording of this as well. So um, right. I always like to thank the audience as well for joining us today. Uh, we do this every Wednesday, 1 p.m. Pacific. Um, we are slowly transitioning to a more of a pre-recorded um, sort of format with occasional live content like this. Um, so just you know be aware of that, um, but it will be still um, broadcast on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. And um, yeah, so thank you so much, Ed, for, for joining us today. This was a lot of fun. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks very much for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be one of the live ones. I like, I like, enjoyed it. <laughs> this is cool. <laughs> okay. yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. And we'll see you all next time. Bye.